0: It's It's, oh, it's, 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 it's I see dead people. Awesome. Here's Johnny. Stop. We have such sights to show you. Make the motherfucking ruckus. Fuck you too Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. I, uh, hey, hey, everyone. I'm, I'm excited. I'm very excited to read uh, the final part of We Used to Live Here from Reddit No Sleep. Um, I kind of just want to jump right into it. But for the week to week listeners, I will give a little bit of a recap real quick. In part one, we have our lesbian couple Eve and Charlie. That moved to a new house, presumably in the Midwest. Um, During a blizzard that pretty much comes out of fucking nowhere, uh, they are interrupted by what appears to be a spooky nuclear family. Uh, There is Thomas, the father, Paige, the wife, and three kids, two boys and a little girl. Uh, The boys are around the same age. The girl is the youngest (coughs) in episode one. Uh, As the father asks to show the house that he presumably grew up in to his children, um, showing up unbeknownst to this couple who just moved in, um, they let him kind of give this tour around their house um, under their supervision, and as they are giving the tour... Um, the father brings up a dumb waiter that goes to the basement and suddenly the daughter goes missing and it's presumed that she went down the dumb waiter to the basement. So everyone goes down to the basement together to try and find the daughter, but the daughter can't be found anywhere. She's just like gone. And both the father, Thomas, and the girlfriend, Charlie, describe the basement as fucky, uh, like a little mixed up. Um, but the dad kind of goes into like a bit of an episode to which he plays off like it never happened when Eve asks him about it. Um, so they give up looking for the daughter and they assume she'll just come back whenever she's ready. She has these moments where she just hides. Okay. Later on during the night, um, the blizzard gets worse. The family decides to crash there. They have an awkward dinner where uh, it's revealed that they they don't drink and they don't have phones and they don't smoke and all this stuff. All things they're lying about. Um, the dad later comes down during the night and tells them a story about how when he used to live here as a kid, he had a sister. The sister went missing after saying some loony shit about the house uh, and just disappeared. So we can only assume that the father is back because he has some type of conflict resolution with, uh, you know, memories associated to growing up here. He 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 wants um, he wants conclusion. You know, he wants this to end, maybe. Um, I still think the family is a group of spooky spooks, fucking ghosts or ghouls. Um, But they seem pretty physical um, because we find out in episode two which was last week, um, that, uh, the daughter, the daughter basically comes back, but Charlie is now missing the girlfriend of Eve. Uh, and the family is making themselves right at fucking home. They bring in their own furniture, their own, their own stuff and fill the shelves. Um, like a weird cup, like a kid's cup is found And it doesn't seem like they plan on leaving. And Thomas always kind of, like, geeks out a little bit. Like, he has these little tick moments that (laughs) creep out uh, whenever Eve says something. Almost like she doesn't belong. Almost like they're trying to impose. Like, they're trying to take over this place. Like, I know the story is called We Used to Live Here, but it really feels like they are trying to live there, you know? Uh, It's revealed... That um, they do have a phone and it's revealed that the father does smoke and he does drink and that they're lying about shit. And this came to a head at a really great moment in part two where um Eve goes up to the attic to get chains for the tires so that she could force this weird fucking family out of her house to go drive around in the blizzard. She's just give these strangers her her chain tires um just to get them out. And as she's going through the attic, the dumb waiter comes up from the basement and like a weird woman presumably comes out of it and she's doing the like weeping angel thing where she puts her hands over her face so you can't see what she's what she looks like or what she's doing but like much like a horror movie she like takes these step and incremental moments uh towards Eve and the lights go out and it's real creepy and it's real great and um just at the last moment the the attic reopens and Eve falls onto her head and conks out when she comes to she finds that Paige does have a phone and when she tries to explain uh to Thomas that there was a, a person upstairs, Thomas drops the word she. Um I like I like fangasmed over that moment because <coughs> it's such a wonderfully written thing. Um Eve only describes the person upstairs as a person because as much as she thinks it's like a frail woman with her hair buzzed down, wearing like a hospital gown, she couldn't really quite tell the gender. Um, I think we're led to assume that it is Abby, Thomas's long-lost sister, Um, because I don't think she actually is long-lost. I think the sister went nuts and the family either locked her away in the house or maybe even locked her away at an actual psychiatric facility. Either way, she might've been like living or squatting in this house for however many years, um, until Thomas comes back to get her, I don't know, out of guilt or whatnot, but this is all just me predicting, uh, however many ways this story can fucking end. Um, But it seems like there's a spook in the house. She saw a figure at the bottom of the steps to the basement on her first night, and then she saw the woman in the attic, and she also saw a person in the woods in episode two. So I think Thomas knows more than he's letting on. Um, Eve might be losing her shit. But the episode ends with... Eve snatching the phone that Paige claimed uh, lied about having and dials Charlie's number, who she had tried talking to earlier uh, because Charlie's been missing since the beginning of episode two. And uh, when the number is dialed this time, it rings through from the basement. So Charlie is presumably in the house somewhere, maybe not Subdued, I don't know Um But her phone is ringing from the basement And that is literally That moment Is from when episode 2 Ended, so we're, we're about to see The immediate after effect Of Eve probably losing Her shit on this family That just invaded her fucking home Maybe Maybe murdered Her girlfriend And plans on murdering her Uh, I don't know this. This story can go in a bunch of different directions. But anyway, we're going to read the final part of We Used to Live Here. So all you fuckers out there, you get nice and comfy while Captain Death here sings you my melodic funeral tones. On lots of pasta. Thomas and Paige stared at me, both playing dumb. Pretending they couldn't hear Charlie's ringtone. Oscar-worthy shit. But I didn't have time to appreciate the performance. If Charlie was somehow in the basement, then she might be hurt or worse. I needed to get down there, call the police, and find her. Now. Tucking away Paige's phone, I started out of the kitchen. Eve, where are you going? Said Thomas. Ignoring him, I hauled across the room, snagged the flashlight from the couch, and Eve, you can talk to us. He grabbed me by the arm. Don't fucking touch me. I wrenched free, stepped back, silence. They just stared at me, wide eyed, scared, even. Good. They should be. Eve. What? What's wrong? He stammered, still giving a top notch performance. Bravo. Flashlight clenched in my hands like a weapon. I eased back towards the basement door, slipping inside. I slammed it shut. Darkness. With both hands grasped around the knob, I braced for Thomas to follow, but he didn't. I listened for a moment, no footsteps, only muffled voices. I pressed my ear to the door. "'What if she finds?' said Paige, but I couldn't make out the rest. "'Doesn't matter now,' Thomas muttered, a barely audible response. What were they talking about?' "'What?' "'Who knows?' Probably some death cult fuckery. Just find Charlie. Convinced Thomas wouldn't follow, I crept back, then spun around and hurried downward. At the base of the stairs, I pulled out Paige's flip phone and punched in 911, two ringtones. A young woman answered, 911, operator, what is your emergency? Home invasion. If you can, get outside or barricade yourself in a room. Okay? Sure. After I find Charlie. Name? Eve. Eve Palmer. Eve, are you hurt? No. Is the intruder still in the house? Yes, there's more than one, actually. Can you describe them? A man, a woman, and... I trailed off. Can you just send help? And? Three kids. Three kids. Yes, they're, um, a family. And they've threatened you? Yes, well, no, not the kids, but the parents did. Technically a lie. Sue me. Are they armed? Possibly. I think they hurt my girlfriend, or they're holding her hostage. There's another woman in the attic, too. She might be the guy's sister. I don't know. Just send help now. Address? 3719 Heritage Lane. Ma'am, a car has already been dispatched to your location. Great. Great. Thank you. No, what I mean is someone from this address has already called in a disturbance. A disturbance? Yes, a uh, 5150. Was that you? No. Let me guess. Thomas called in. Worthless piece of shit. Ma'am? Fuck, did I just say that part out loud? Eve. I'd like you to stay on the line until the police arrive. You should know the storm has delayed response time. And that's when I noticed the blood, a trail of tiny red dots spattered on the ground. I looked, I lowered the phone to inspect and upstairs, a sudden crash followed by heavy scraping across the floor, a flood of footsteps like dozens of people marching around, puffs of dust wheezed from straining floorboards above me. What the hell was going on up there? Focus, Eve. I flipped the phone shut. Authorities were on route. That's all that mattered. Even if Thomas called them in first, what would he say when they got here? Um, it's actually my house because I put a rocking chair in the living room. Good luck with that one, buddy. Following the trail of blood, I entered a long, narrow hallway, doors on either side, symmetrical, numbered. It almost looked like a prison. The fuck? Flashlight in hand, I pushed forward. The scattered line of blood led straight ahead past several doorways and curved into an open room, a musty brick walled nook. Continuing into the back corner, the blood ran over a pile of abandoned clutter. I beamed light through the mess, and behind it, a blocked doorway. I started grabbing debris and tossing it aside, and up above, the scraping and footsteps grew louder. A rickety, percussive drone. Finally, I cleared away the old trash and opened the door. A long, uneven staircase receded downward into a darkened void. A basement within a basement. Come on. Suddenly, the sounds from upstairs cut short. Silence. Behind me, two quick shuffling scrapes. I spun around, aimed light into the doorway. Empty. Uneasy. 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 I turned back and redialed Charlie's phone. Two tones rang out. In the darkness beyond the bottom of the stairs, Ludwig's classic riff chimed in. Okay. Creepy sub-basement, here I come. At the bottom of the steps, the trail of blood ended, hard stop. Did it start or finish here? I stepped forward into a vast, shadowy room. Down here, Charlie's ringtone pinged off the walls, echoing from every direction. Wary, I struggled to get my bearings. The circular, circular glow from my flashlight revealed the room bit by bit. It almost looked like an abandoned mine, cave-like, makeshift, bizarre. Strained wooden beams struggled to keep the earth at bay. The room itself was filled with paintings, stacks and stacks of paintings, but none of them were hanging. They were just strewn on the ground, leaning against the dirt walls, piled up in the corners. Charlie's ringtone stopped, and for a moment, its echo lingered in the stagnant air, silence. I redialed, but this time calling from down here, it didn't ring. I checked the screen, no service. Charlie, I called out, nothing determined, I wandered deeper. Maybe there was something here, something that would make sense of all this insanity, but there were only paintings, and every single one was more or less the same. Depictions of this house in different contexts. Half built, fully renovated, abandoned, burnt down to a crisp. An exceptionally odd one portrayed the windows and doors swarmed with tiny black dots. Ants? Who painted these? Was it Abigail? Did she make the one above the fireplace too? The smiling turtle in the attic? As I crept forward, my light swept across a painting with people in it. I crouched down for a closer look. It was a family. Standing in front of the house, a Rockwellian couple with two children, boy and girl. The father was nearly a spitting image of Thomas, right down to his perfect teeth. The young girl looked sad despondent. The boy had Thomas's eyes. This had to be his family, painted when he lived here as a kid. Thomas, his sister Abigail, and their parents. They looked so traditional, so serious, and almost made the family upstairs look fun in comparison. Almost. I was about to step away, but I squinted. In this painting, young Thomas looked out of place, like he was put there after the fact by a lesser artist. His dimensions weren't quite right. His arms were just the slightest bit too long, his mouth the slightest bit too wide. Even his texture looked off. I pressed my thumb tip against his face, and the paint for him felt different from the rest. Cheap, acrylic, cold. Unnerved, I pulled away from my hand, leaving behind a pinkish smear where young Thomas's jaw used to be. A gleam caught my eye, and I swiveled to look, but it was just an unlit oil lamp. It sat atop a crumpled desk covered in stacks of black leather journals, and above the desk, across a horizontal support beam, a message scrawled with olive green paint. Thomas Foster is not my brother. Okay, I crossed over. The desk lamp still had oil, and beside it lay an old pack of matches. I struck one and held it to the lamp until a dim, flickering glow stammered to life. Shaking out the match, I looked around, absorbing the room in all its weirdness. Distorted, jittery shadows cast over precarious picture frame towers. In the far corner lay a dirt-stained mattress, overgrown with roots, covered in dust, hadn't been touched in years. Was Abigail sleeping down here? Hey, uh, I'm going to go ahead and call that one, because that's what I just fucking said before I started reading this story. It's a good old, uh, good old The Boy twist. Was Abigail sleeping down here? Above the bed hung a rope ladder leading up to a hole in the ceiling. Did that connect to the dumbwaiter? Turning back to the desk, I grabbed a journal from the nearest stack. Maybe this would explain what was going on here. I flipped through, but every single page was filled to the margins with... Thomas Foster is not my brother, Thomas Foster is not my brother, Thomas Foster is useless. I tossed it aside, grabbed another one. You are part of the house, you are part of the house, you are worthless. I snagged the next one. You are not who they say you are, you are not who they say you are. You are <laughs> all work and no play makes to any adult boy. <laughs> nothing nothing but the meaningless ramblings of a seriously unstable person. I'd bet a thousand bucks. The next one said, all work and no play makes Abigail a dull girl. Why do I keep doing this? Did I write this story? What a twist, but what did she mean? Thomas wasn't her brother. I was about to turn away when I noticed a solitary deep red journal tucked away at the bottom of the furthest stack. I shimmied it out, cracked it open, and skimmed through. Entry after entry of young Abigail talking about moving into the new house. Her aspirations to become a painter. How she felt out of place in her own skin. I kept flipping through, glimpsing handwritten moments of Abigail's tragic life, all the while looking for something, anything that would help me. She wrote about the kids in school, how they tormented her for being too tall. How they called her Drabby Abby, Drabby Abby, Drabby Abby. She wrote about the time she shaved her head, how her parents, as punishment, locked her up in the attic until all her hair grew back, how they sent her food rations up through the dumbwaiter chute, how on the first night locked away up there, she awoke covered in ants, swarmed from head to toe. She wrote about how she hated being an only child. An only child? Then she wrote about how Thomas was not her brother, how he came from the woods in the light of day, how he lived here before the house was even built, before the trees were planted, how he was trying to drive her mad and nobody believed her, not even her parents, how he was trying to turn her into... Something caught my periphery. I looked up. Ants. Above the desk, from a crack in the wooden beam, a trail of ants crawled out of the olive-green O in Thomas. Okay. Slipping the red journal into my back pocket, I followed the trail as it disappeared behind a stack of rotting picture frames. They rounded a corner and stretched down an ever-narrowing passage, receding into darkness. I raised the flashlight, flicked it on, and... A woman. Standing at the end of the dead-end passage, with her back turned. Not Charlie. Too tall. It was Abigail. It had to be. Wearing an off-white hospital gown, just like in the attic, but somehow it looked like she'd been standing there for years, almost rooted to the ground, like she'd become a part of the room itself. Paralyzed. Looming. Arms hanging limp. Clutched in her left hand a small hammer, the same one I used to pry nails out of above the fireplace, but now it was covered in red blood. Then she started shaking, a strange, soundless movement somewhere between weeping and laughter. I stepped backward, and she looked over her shoulder toward me. Her face was pale, sunken cheeks. Her eyes were gently shut. With surprising speed, the trail of ants climbed up the side of her leg onto her back over her shoulders and began to circle around her neck, an unearthly choker from Hot Topic. Her mouth twisted into a pained, toothy grimace, and then the ants started swarming her face crawling into her nostrils, her mouth, writhing ants frantically forcing their way between the cracks of her gums, her teeth, but she remained unfazed, unmoving. The sight was so terrible, so incomprehensible, I questioned if it was even real. And then the ants began to recede, disappearing into her face until there was only one ant left wriggling its way between her blood-red gums, writhing until it slipped through her teeth with an almost audible schlick. Abigail's eyes snapped open, cold and blue, wide, mystified. She looked down at the blood-drenched hammer in her hand, face filling with a horrific mixture of terror and unimaginable guilt. She whispered, My name isn't... I took a slow step backwards. My name isn't Eve. She spun around and took a step towards me, a sudden, unbalanced movement, as if puppeteered from above. Staggering forward, she raised the hammer back, wound up to strike, and I turned heel and hauled it the fuck out of there. Abigail, in pursuit, I barreled up the stairs, out of the empty room, into the hallway, and I ran, faster than I'd ever run my entire goddamn life. Behind me, her bare feet slapped against concrete, gaining Wait! she gasped. Scrambling forward, I slid around a corner, doors on either side blurred past, numbered, symmetrical. Wait, wasn't I here already? Ahead of me, a dead end. Above me, the ominous drones returned with a vengeance. Behind me, footfalls getting closer. Left with no choice, I shoved into the nearest room, pulled the door shut, and reached for the... No lock. Fuck. I scanned around, hunting for a weapon, something to bar the door, a place to hide, anything, but there wasn't... Wait. In the far corner, a shuttered door wardrobe. Without thinking, I hurtled over, whipped inside, yanked the door shut, and held it there. All the while, the scraping sounds from the upstairs grew louder, my heart pumped with short stuttering sprints. Fuck, 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 shut the fuck up, Eve. Calm down. Just calm the fuck down. It's only one person. Yeah, but she's armed with a hammer, and ants crawled into her face, and she's probably going to— Stop. Just stop. First off, turn the flashlight off. It's lighting you up like a billboard. My inner voice was starting to sound weirdly similar to a frustrated Charlie. I don't know if that's a good thing, but I I switched off the flashlight. Okay, it's off? Yeah. Good. Now breathe. Inhale slowly through your nostrils. Hold it. And then exhale through your mouth. I breathed in through my nose, held it then exhaled through my mouth. Did that help? My heart still thumped like a stampede. Do it again, dipshit. Okay, maybe my inner voice was a little meaner than Charlie, but it was actually helping. My heart rate was slowing down, continuing to focus on my breath. I peered out through the wardrobe shutters into a dark room. Now the sounds from upstairs were unbearably loud. An ever-rising earthquake getting stronger and stronger, and then The door to the room swung open. Instant silence. There she stood. Bloody hammer in hand. Abigail. Deeply regretting my choice of a hiding spot, I sucked in a spurt of air and held my breath be quiet. Abigail loomed into the room, almost bending over as she passed through the doorframe. Holy fuck, she was tall. Hammer at the ready, she crept deeper. I i'm sorry she trailed off as she started circling the room like a caged animal i'm i'm sorry about charlie she whimpered she's still alive but but thomas said it was the only way i i could leave what did she mean what happened to charlie was that charlie's blood on the hammer questions raced through me but my survival instinct pushed them back escape survive figure this out later All the while, I was still holding my breath, still desperately trying not to make a sound. Pins and needles pricked across my face, lungs growing tighter. Abigail wandered the room for what felt like an eternity, and then she lurched to a stop. Sighed, turned from the door, and drifted away. One painfully slow step at a time. Every fiber of my being screamed, don't breathe, don't you fucking breathe, just hang on a little bit longer, but... My lungs forced me to gasp in air. Abigail froze in the doorframe, peered back over her shoulder, and looked directly at the wardrobe. Then, she tilted her head, the exact same way the shadowy figure on the basement steps did. Head still cocked, she stepped back into the room, and out from her ear, down onto her neck, crawled a thin trail of ants. Holy fucking Christ. She took a step closer, and another one. Eve, is that you? She whispered, edging forward. Her voice was tinged with repressed excitement now, like she was about to pull off a horrific prank. Eve, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. We can help each other. You can help me leave. And I, I can help you find your Charlie lips quivering, she stood right in front of the wardrobe now, staring at me through the shutters. Her eyes were empty like a doll's. Her cold breath brushed against my face, frigid. Slowly raising her hand, she slid her long fingers into the shutters, reaching for me. I leaned back as far as I could, but her jagged, overgrown fingernails scratched against my cheek. "'It's okay, Eve,' she whispered again. The ants were now flooding off her hand, rushing down from her fingers onto her nails and onto my face. Swarming ants crept over my skin, towards my mouth, towards enough.' In one quick motion, I pressed my palm up against her outstretched fingers until they snapped back, with a sickening crack. I drop-kicked the door open, and Abby wrenched to the side, shrieking bloody murder, her mangled fingers still caught between the shutters, trapped. The hammer flew from her hand and slid to a stop in the doorway. Shooting across the room, I snagged the hammer and kept running, frantically spitting ants out of my mouth all the while. Behind me, Abigail screeched and wailed, struggling to yank her twisted hand out from the shutters. Good fucking luck. Doors blurred past as I darted down the hallway, hunting for the stairs. Escape. Just escape. Behind me, her warbled screams echoed, getting louder. Closer, she was already free. Fuck. She was gaining on me, and this time she was vengeful. Part of me wanted to turn around and smash her skull in, but I doubted I could bring myself to do it, even in self defense. Plus, I wasn't sure if she was even human, so I just kept running, until finally I came upon the stairs, still highlighted with the trail of blood. Sorry, Charlie, but if I don't get out of here now, we're both fucked. I bounded upwards until behind me, Abigail's cold, writhing hands grasped at my heels, reached for my ankles, tried to pull me back into the darkness, but the door was just in sight. I was almost there, almost free, and I burst into the living room, spun around, shoulder-slammed the door shut, expecting a struggle, but... there was nothing. No more footsteps. No more screaming. Only silence. Deafening silence. What's wrong? Thomas' bewildered voice called out from behind, but I didn't look. I was so intent on holding the door shut, I almost forgot the family was even there. Sure, they were god-awful, but at least ants weren't crawling out of their ears, not yet, anyway. Behind me, I could hear Thomas rise to stand and march across the room. I didn't look back. I kept holding the door, and suddenly he jerked me away. What is going on? He blinked at me, stunned. And then I realized what he was looking at. The blood-soaked hammer in my hand. Reaching down, he yanked it away. Where did you find this? He held it up, but it was no longer covered in blood. It was spotless. Inexplicably spotless. He tossed it across the room, hitting the floor. It slid to a stop in a quiet corner. I was too shocked to even respond. Too exhausted to even fight back. It felt like the entire universe was slowly turning upside down. Were you hurting yourself again?" His voice was filled with distress, concern even. He began patting his hands over my neck, my shoulders, searching for injuries. "'Thomas!' Paige called from across the room, but he ignored her, still checking to make sure I wasn't hurt. "'Talk to me. What happened down there?' "'Thomas!' Paige snapped so loud he almost jumped. He looked back. She stared him down with a vicious glare. "'Take her upstairs. You're scaring the children.' The kids were sitting in front of the fireplace, gaping at me with shock, and that's when it finally hit me. Everything was different. Completely different. The furniture, the rug on the floor, the candles on the tables, the paintings on the walls, everything the house was now decorated like a throwback American dream home I opened my mouth to speak but only a sputtering wheeze escaped what the fuck was happening I'm gonna pause for a moment I assume all of that scraping and all the noise she was hearing was almost her um by entering the basement like traveling through time and space just a wild guess unpause sighing Thomas tightened his grip and pulled me away, pushed me into the foyer. I don't know what happened down there, but I need you to listen to me. He stared into my eyes, deadly serious. You have to get yourself together, or I'm calling the ward. Do you understand, Abby? The kids can't have their aunt running around the house like a lunatic. I stared up at him blankly. Abby? Their aunt? Was this really his plan? Was he really gonna try and convince me I was his sister all along? How fucking stupid did he think I was? That dumb shit might have worked on a 12-year-old Abigail, but not on me. It would take a fuck ton more than a redecorated house to make me believe I was a completely different person. I cleared my throat. What? What did you do to my house? Ignoring the question, he took a new tact, smiling sadly. You're my sister. I'd do anything to help you, but I can't put my family's safety at risk any longer. Do you understand? And for a moment, part of me wondered if I truly was insane, if I might actually be his sister. But none of that made any sense. That's not how hallucinations work. Not how insanity works. Right? Besides, everything that happened so far was technically inside the realm of plausibility. Insanely fucked up, yes, but not impossible. Maybe they were working with other people. Maybe they moved all the furniture inside while I was downstairs. Downstairs. Maybe they drugged me with hallucinogens after I hit my head, or maybe... Maybe Abigail's journal was right. Maybe Thomas really did live here before the house was even built. Maybe the trees were even planted. Maybe he came from the woods in the light of... Eve... Those were just the ramblings of an unwell mind. He's only a person. A psychopath. But a person, nonetheless. I refocused. Play along until the police show up, or until you find the right moment to escape. Come back with help and save Charlie. Don't escalate things yet. Smiling back, I nodded gently. Good. Now, he continued. We were just about to have dinner, and I'd love for you to join us. Show the kids everything is okay. Tell them their aunt was just looking for something down in the basement and got lost, all right? Okay. We love you, Abby. You're part of this family. He reached out and touched my shoulder gently. I shuddered, but he didn't seem to notice or care. You'll get through this, he continued. You've gotten through worse. Thanks, Thomas. Smiling warmly, he turned back for the kitchen. Lingering behind, I watched him go. Waited until he disappeared around the corner, and then... I dashed for the front door, grabbed the handle, and it's locked. From the outside? I went for the window. Barred. The adjacent room, every single window, was barred. My house was like a prison now. How did they pull all of this off so quickly? Abby? He called out from the kitchen. Ready for dinner? I stopped, took a deep breath, collected myself. Eve, you're outnumbered. Play along until help shows up. If help doesn't show, do whatever it takes to find Charlie. Even if you have to burn this fucking house to the ground. The family was seated around my dinner table like it was their own. Eating, laughing, living it up without a care to be had, but as soon as I entered, the party stopped. They just sat there, staring at me as if I was the one who didn't belong. Thomas filled the dead air. "'Abigail, there you are,' he said, wiping his mouth with a red kerchief that matched his shirt. "'You were going to share with us what happened in the basement, yes?' "'Keep playing along, Eve. Don't escalate. Wait for help to show up. But why did they all look so calm?' i-I was looking for tools and got lost in the dark. I said it reminded me of an old memory, a, a scary one, and I let my imagination get the better of me, but I'm okay now. It was all in my head. Thomas gave a slight nod. Good work. The kids nodded too, but Paige she just stared at me, eyes narrowing. a sharp gust of wind slammed against the windows, and the house lights flickered. The family jumped. Thomas looked outside, shaking his head. These storms get worse every year, he said. Hopefully the power holds out. He motioned for me to take a seat. Hesitating, I stepped forward, pulled back an empty chair, and sat. Paige wrapped her fingers around the handle of a serrated steak knife. Your auntie is going to be moving out soon, kids, she said, cutting into her steak, blood oozing from the veins of the dead meat. Jenny, the hide and seeker, just sat there watching me, only now her previous gloom was gone. She looked content, cheerful almost. I stared back, searching for cracks in the performance, but there was none. "'Abby,' Thomas chimed. I looked up. He blinked at me, expecting an answer to a question I didn't even hear. "'You were going to explain your reasoning,' he prodded, "'for moving out.' Oh, I cleared my throat. <clears> throat. I I just think it's time for me to be on my own. It feels like the right time. The kids nodded in unison. Well, you will sure be missed, said Thomas. But I think we can all agree it's time for a change. I managed to fake another smile. Didn't know how many more I had left in me. So, said Thomas towards his daughter. How was school today? Jenny smiled sheepishly. I... I don't know. Wow, you don't know. That's a first, Thomas replied playfully. Jenny gave a little shrug and smiled wider. Thomas leaned forward. You gotta tell me one thing that happened, he said. Just one thing. That's all I ask. What is this? Stay calm, Eve. He's just messing with you. Jenny laughed a bit. Okay, um, there... There was this dog in class today. A dog, said Thomas. What's a dog doing in a school? It it was a seeing eye dog, she squirmed in her seat, shy. Thomas sprinkled salt on his steak. A seeing eye dog, what's that? It's a dog that helps blind people walk around, Jenny beamed. Wow, a professional dog. What's that? Thomas raised an eyebrow. Professional? Mm Mm-hmm. It's when you get paid for your work. Oh, I... I don't think the dog gets paid. Well, he should. Maybe with treats, said Ginny, sincere. Thomas chuckled and glanced over at me the way a proud parent does, his eyes filled with, isn't she cute, for a moment. I almost forgot everything else that was going on, like it was just a typical family dinner, but then... "'What about your friend in the city?' asked Paige, killing the Mirage, right on cue. I snapped back into the fucked-up present. "'What?' She gulped down another mouthful of steak. "'Your friend in the city. Does she still have that spare room?' I shook my head, not sure how to respond. Paige sighed. "'Your friend Charlie?' My stomach twisted. "'Oh, I don't know if, if she still lives there,' I replied, continuing to play along, barely. Hmm," said Thomas, dousing his mashed potatoes with gravy. "'We'll figure something out, and don't feel rushed. You can always stay longer if needed. One week is just ideal for us.' Paige shot him a disapproving look. "'Wow. A whole week to move out of my own house.' "'Thanks, Thomas. Very generous,' I said, sounding a little more sarcastic than intended." Paige huffed and arose from the table. She strode to the cupboard and grabbed a bottle of Charlie's favorite red wine. Perusing for an extra moment, she grabbed the corkscrew. Eyes locked onto mine, she sat back down, twisted the corkscrew into the wine cork, and another ruthless blast of wind pushed through the house. The lights flickered on and off until darkness, power outage. If not for the orange glow of the living room fireplace, it would have been pitch dark. Thomas let out an exasperated sigh. Great. I'll get the candles. Pushing up from the table, he stepped out of the kitchen. Is now my chance? What do I do? The front door is locked. The windows are barred. Abigail, queen of the ants, is down in the basement. Ugh. I couldn't even hear myself think. Paige kept cranking on that corkscrew, staring at me the whole time. She had to be doing it on purpose now. Then, finally, she popped out the cork and poured until her glass was nearly full, right to the brim. Very classy. But then that's when I noticed the necklace. Around Paige's neck, Charlie's necklace. I checked my back pocket, empty. A flood of emotions followed. Grief. Fear. Confusion. Rage. It started in my temples, pushed down to my hands, my feet, every single part of me like an uncontrollable wildfire. Until now. I'd been in denial about what happened downstairs. Charlie wasn't hiding. Charlie wasn't being held captive. Charlie was dead. She must be. Yes, Abigail said Charlie was alive, but I saw that hammer. It was covered in blood. And now, Paige, fucking Foster, was wearing Charlie's locket like it was her own. Where did you find that? I said, almost blurting it out. Hmm? Said Paige, slowly looking towards me, sipping her wine. The necklace, I said. Where did you find it? Oh just a store. I rose to stand, the kids tensed up, wary. Page stared at me confused. I moved closer. Wait. What was I doing here? What was my plan? Abigail? said Paige, nervous. She kept blathering on, but I wasn't there anymore. I was in the past. Memories were playing out in my head, those strange little moments that stand out more and more as time goes on. The way Charlie snorted when she laughed sometimes, then laughed even harder out of embarrassment. The way her face lit up every time she saw a dog stick its head out of a car window. The way she wrapped her arms around me from behind and nuzzled her chin up to my neck as we fell asleep. All these memories played out in my head like they were happening right now. And then... Before I even knew what I was doing, I grabbed Paige with one hand and the corkscrew with the other. Arms gripped around her. I pulled back, and her chair fell to the floor with a crash. Time slowed to a near stop as I held the corkscrew to the side of her throat, and her children screamed. The fireplace crackled. The wind outside howled. But Paige, she was silent. For the first time in her life, she didn't have a fucking thing to say. Not one word, only quick, terrified little breaths. Music. Whoa, now,' said Thomas, treading into the dining room, cell phone in hand. I spun Paige around to face him. "'Where is Charlie?' I snapped. "'Kids, go to your rooms. Lock the doors,' he said. But they didn't respond. They just sat there, paralyzed. "'Now!' He boomed. They scrambled out of the kitchen. Abigail. He spoke as calmly as possible. You have to let her go. What the fuck happened to Charlie? He took a deep breath, exhaled. She's living in this city now. You told us yourself, Abby, you. Thomas, stop. My name isn't Abby. I'm fucking done with this. Just tell me where Charlie is right now, or to Thomas, please. Paige's voice quivered, petrified. Page. don't worry she's not going to do anything abby listen to me charlie is okay we can call her right now she can explain everything and, and abby this isn't you the the medications i i know you've been missing your doses that's what's happening here your mind is going through withdrawal playing tricks on you your your sponsor that are on the way right now they're going to help you and he held up his phone Look, I I just called them, and Thomas! I yelled so loud, it shook the floorboards. I lowered my voice. Thomas, I need you to listen to me. Listen carefully. If you don't tell me where Charlie is, something really, really bad is going to happen. Paige winced as the corkscrew pricked against her skin. Thomas just tell her? She quivered again. Riddled with fear. Thomas took another small step forward. Abby, listen to me. I need you to ground yourself. Focus on your senses. Focus on what? Wait, how how did he know about that? Focus on sight. Paige's blonde hair. Thomas's dumbstruck face. The glow of the fireplace. Sound heart thumping. Panicked breath, howling wind, smell, red wine, blood, desperation, touch. My hand gripped tightly around the corkscrew and a sudden clawing pain shot through my right thigh. My whole body tensed up in a spasm. I staggered backward, let go of Paige and looked down. Holy fuck. She stabbed a steak knife right into my thigh. And then I realized my hands were empty. The corkscrew was gone. Paige toppled to the floor like a bowling pin. The bloody knife was still in her hand. She hit the ground, choking, gargling. What just happened? My eyes darted around for the answer until I finally saw... The corkscrew was lodged, handled deep into the side of Paige's throat. I... I must have... I didn't mean to. A thin line of blood trailed down her neck onto the hardwood floor. Her mouth slowly opened and closed, opened and closed, like she was trying to speak, trying to breathe. Paige, Thomas whispered, stunned. I stumbled backward into the kitchen. Snapping from his daze, Thomas collapsed to the floor over Paige. He held her neck, trying to stop the bleeding. Paige, His voice cracked. He stared into her eyes, but her gaze just flicked side to side, empty desperation growing thomas pressed harder trying to stop the bleeding mind spinning leg throbbing i limped out of the kitchen and into the hallway page wasn't human i told myself she wasn't even real none of this is real but it felt real more real than anything i'd ever felt every memory i ever had good or bad it didn't matter everything drowned in the present staggering into the moonlit foyer i went for the door locked already knew that fuck I need to get out of here. I looked down, a dark circle of warm blood seeped through my jeans. Deal with that later. Just get outside. I turned around and remembered. The hammer. I could use it to pry the door open. Paige! Thomas whimpered from the kitchen. I'm here! I'm here! Paige! I'm not leaving! Focus, Eve. I swept back into the living room, trudged up to the so-called quiet corner, snatched up the hammer, and scrambled back to the foyer. Wasting no time, I shimmied it, pry bar first into the door frame and wrenched back. The wood splintered and strained. I kept prying, kept pulling, but it seemed hopeless. It seemed... Thomas screamed, animalistic, filled with unimaginable grief, rage, and I knew exactly what it meant. Paige was dead. "'No, no, no!' He trailed off in a strange, guttural moan, tragic and terrifying all at once. His clenched fist thud against the floor, an impact so heavy I could hear the hardwood crack. More screaming, thrashing. Now he was breaking things, tearing apart the kitchen, wrathful. I pried on the door harder and harder, but it was no use. It wouldn't budge. "'Abigail!' He screamed, voice filled with murder. Fuck the door. Hammer still in hand, I scrambled upstairs. Thomas charged into the foyer, just in time to see me disappear at the top of the steps. Right leg going numb, I pushed off the wall and staggered down the hallway. Behind me, footsteps thundered up the stairs like an ever-rising war drum. I tried the first door, locked the next one, locked. My eyes shot down the end of the hall, Abigail's bedroom. Fuck it. I burst inside, slammed the door shut. Spinning around, I pressed my back up against it. I scanned the room, searching for somewhere to hide, somewhere to... Abigail. She was standing in the far corner of her room, back turned, head slumped, shaking, sobbing, weeping. I didn't know. I didn't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, she whimpered again and again. Sorry about what? Behind me, the door burst open and Thomas slammed into me like a freight train, thrusting me against a barred window. He jammed his forearm against my throat, crushing it. He stared into my eyes, silent, possessed by rage, sorrow. As I gasped for air, I looked to the far corner, empty. Abigail was gone. Was she even there to begin with? I looked back to Thomas. Before this. I thought maybe he'd been putting on a show, but now I could finally see it in his eyes. He actually believed he lived in this house. He actually believed I was his sister, but we did so much for you. He snarled, spit, spraying my face. We gave you everything. With his free hand, he clutched me by the hair, jerked my head forward, and smashed it back into the wall, throbbing pain. We accepted you into our home. He slammed my head back again, harder this time, each impact heavier than the last. Pain radiated. Vision grew blurry. This was it. I was going to die. This was... Might as well fight back, dipshit. With my left leg and all of my remaining strength, I need him in the stomach. Winded, he staggered backward and crumpled to his knees. I gasped in air, barely conscious. He looked up, readied himself to lunge, and… I swung the hammer, claw-end first, into the side of his face. A sickening crack filled the room as it lodged into his jaw. Still on his knees, Thomas stared up at me in disbelief. He didn't think I was capable of this, and neither did I. Our eyes locked for a strange, quiet moment, and then I pressed my foot onto his stomach, pushed it forward, and, with both arms, all my strength wrenched back. The hammer tore open his face with a sickening, wet sound. His perfect teeth ripped out and clattered to the floor in a bloody mess. He crumpled over, blood trailed down his jaw, over his neck, the torn flap of his cheek hung open, dangling. Fucking horrific. But slowly I raised the hammer, tensed up, and Thomas started sobbing. His pitiful, rising whimpers filled Abigail's room like a noxious cloud. He was holding his face now, as if trying to put himself back together. Blood seeped through his fingers, and his whimpering grew more panicked, more desperate. Please! Please don't! Abby, please! He sputtered, drooling ropes of blood onto the floor. And all the while, I just stood there, hammer raised, readying myself to finish the job, but I I couldn't. Despite all my fear, all my hatred, I couldn't bring myself to do it. Paige was an accident. I'm not a killer. I lowered my arm. The blood-soaked hammer slipped from my hand and fell to the floor. I staggered back towards the hallway, stepped out, and started to pull the door shut. But at the last second, Thomas's eyes snapped up. And his face twisted into a mangled grin where are you going eve i yanked the door shut and held it why the fuck did he just call me that hold that thought i grabbed a red chair from the hallway and wedged it under the door handle focus but why the fuck was he smiling at me stop eve focus help isn't coming They would have been here by now. Get outside. Get to the neighbors. But the front door was locked. All the windows were barred. Maybe there was something. The attic. The porthole window. There's no way that's barred. Just get up there. Onto the roof. Find a way down. Jump in a snowbank if you have to. I yanked down the attic staircase and climbed. Wincing pain throbbed with every step. All the while, not a peep from Abigail's bedroom. Not a bang on the door. Not a whimper. Not even a footstep. Only silence terrifying silence hoisting myself up i ran down the narrow hallway ignore the pain keep moving lightheaded i stumbled into the corner room to the porthole window and pushed it open i shimmied myself up and through a tight fit wriggling my way out A hand clutched around my ankle and yanked me back inside. I slammed into the splinter-ridden floor, chin first, and spun around, just in time to see the moonlit glisten off Thomas's torn-open face. How did he get up here so quickly? He lunged onto me, wrapping his hands around my throat, and started to squeeze. We built this house! He boomed like a mad apostle, slobbering blood onto my face. I reached up, grabbed his wrists, tried to pull them away, but it was no use. He squeezed tighter. A lump formed in my throat like an ever-expanding cyst. I couldn't breathe. I was fading. Shadows crawled from the corner of my eyes. Everything was becoming nothing. He lowered his voice to a spitting whisper. We sowed the forest. Great. I get to die listening to a psychotic maniac. Right then, a shiny glint caught the corner of my eye. I looked over. Universal Tire Chains. Thanks, Charlie. With a final push of resistance, I reached, wrapped the tips of my fingers around the chains, and we gave life to... (coughs) I swung. The chains cracked into his temple, and his head twisted to the side. A red curtain of blood whipped onto the floor, the wall, the turtle painting. Slowly, he turned back to me, but now his gaze was empty, vacant. Blood trailed from his cracked temple into his twitching eye and dripped onto my cheek. His grip loosened. We were here before. Before the... He trailed off into incoherent mumbles. Tire chains still in hand, I shoved him off of me and pushed up to standing. Thomas tried to stand too, but he couldn't. He fell back to his knees and looked up at me barely conscious. He kept trying to talk, only to mutter incoherently. He kept trying to stand, only to fall back down. I stepped around, faced him from behind. Where is Charlie? I demanded, but Thomas only responded with more meaningless mumbles. Enough. I breathed in and on my exhale wrapped the chains around his neck. I pulled back. He reached up, pawing, trying to tear them away, futile, weak, pulling tighter. I pressed my knee into his back and pushed. He gasped, choking, wheezing. I pulled back even harder. He coughed a spatter of blood. His efforts to fight were fading with each passing second until finally... Stop! I looked up. In the doorway, eyes wide with terror, stood Charlie... I froze in shock, released Thomas, and staggered back. He fell forward, gasping for breath, barely alive. Charlie, I whispered. But Charlie was looking down, absorbing the sight of a devastated Thomas. Then she looked up at me. Questions shuffled through my head so rapidly I couldn't even speak. What about her phone in the basement? How was she okay? How was she alive? All the while, Charlie didn't say a word. She just stood there, eyes filled with growing fear, but she wasn't scared of Thomas. She was scared of me. Charlie, wait! I finally managed, lowering the chains. I took a step forward, but she took a step back, eyes flicking down to the blood-slicked weapon in my hand. I dropped the chains and took another step. Charlie kept backing away, shaking her head, on the verge of tears, devastated. Downstairs, the front door burst open, heavy footsteps clambered through the foyer, up the stairs. Sirens. "'Charlie, I can explain, I can—' I stammered, voice cracking. She looked into my eyes one last time, then turned away, disappearing down the hallway. "'She's up here,' said Charlie. "'Wait!' I stepped over Thomas into the hallway, and—' Two police officers grabbed me by the arms, shoved me into the wall, face first pink insulation sliced my skin like paper cuts they clasped handcuffs around my wrists and yanked me back i didn't fight i didn't even speak i just stared ahead blankly as they tugged me through the attic now from exhaustion and blood loss i was slipping in and out of consciousness as they dragged me down the upstairs hallway a few paramedics rushed into the attic and my gaze drifted across the wall the dumbwaiter's chute was once again covered up as if it were never even there to begin with. They pulled me around a corner, and my eyes landed on a cracked bedroom door. From behind it, Jenny peered out, face filled with inconsolable dread. They pulled me down the stairs into the foyer towards the front door, and just as they pulled me outside, I looked back and saw... a painting... on the foyer wall. The painting of the house covering up the jagged hole. Thomas's family was in it. Him, Paige and all three kids, all of them standing out front, happy, smiling. But behind them, peering out through the porthole window, a hazy, solitary figure, eternally trapped. Outside, the storm was over now. The snow was melting, and the sun crept up over distant mountains. The sky split down the middle, half night, half day. On the ground, commotion everywhere. Fire trucks, cop cars, ambulances, neighbors crowding on the street, Harpreet and Miguel among them. My eyes darted around, looking for Charlie, but she was nowhere to be seen. The cops dragged me down the driveway, past the yellow tape, through the crowds, onto the street, and then I saw, standing at the edge of the forest, hands once again covering her face like peekaboo, Abigail. But slowly, she started to pull her hands apart, revealing her face bit by bit, until finally showing herself fully this time in the early morning light her once dull eyes were now permeating with life vitality her once sunken face was full again red cheeked she looked straight into my terror-stricken soul and smiled serene a look of pure contented peace grateful grateful for what Then she turned around, withdrew into the darkened woods, away from the crowds, the chaos, the house. Before I could even process what this meant, I was thrown into the back of a van and the door slammed shut. Darkness. Everyone keeps calling me Abigail, but my name is Eve. I was born on October third, 1987, at 2.56 in the morning. My current residence is 3719 Heritage Lane. My partner, the love of my life, is Charlie Bastion. We renovate old houses and flip them over for profit. We've been together for the last seven years. My name is Eve Palmer, but everyone keeps calling me Abigail Foster. Now even according to official documents, the family owns the house, and they'd been living there for years all my neighbors vouch for them even harpreet and miguel nobody recognizes me anymore not even charlie i still look the way i always have but everyone treats me like i'm a completely different person so now beyond all reason all justice i'm locked away in a criminal psych ward charged with one count of homicide and one count of attempted locked away in a room no bigger than a walk-in closet White walls, rickety bed, cold fluorescent light. I'm not sure how long it's been anymore. Could be months, could be years. According to the lead doctor here, I've been in and out of mental wards my whole life. They tell me I've got a laundry list of psychotic delusions. They say my version of events, the story above, is nothing but an elaborate hallucination mixed in with little bits of reality. Complete fucking bullshit. I've done enough reading to know that psychotic delusions and hallucinations don't work that way. They don't work like they do in the stories, with continuity and tied up loose ends. They weren't hallucinations. They weren't delusions. Somehow, Thomas Foster bent reality around me like a frayed wire, and I'm pretty sure his sister Abigail was in on it, too. I'm still putting it all together, but I think she took me down in exchange for her freedom. I think she replaced me. As for the rest of his family, I don't know if they were in on it, held captive, or something in between. I'm still figuring that one out. What about Charlie? According to so-called officials, Charlie was nothing more than my part-time sponsor for the last six months, basically a volunteer caretaker. Maybe that's what she is now, maybe that's what she is in this reality. At first I thought everyone was pulling some horrific stunt on me, even the doctors. But like I said, neighbors, friends, even my own parents, nobody recognizes me anymore. It's like Thomas Foster pushed me into a completely different reality. So who do I turn to? Charlie. I've tried to contact her dozens of times. Email, phone, even letters. But she's never responded. Not even once. The only good thing about this place is the library. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure this facility helps people who actually need it, but I don't need it. I'm not psychotic. Thomas Foster is. That said, if this place didn't have a library, there's a good chance I would have actually lost my mind. They've got computers with internet, too. It's slow internet, but still. That's where I've been doing my research, writing the real version of events, putting together my case. I still have Abigail's journal, too, so I'm threading together pieces from that, figuring out what Thomas is, how to stop him. I'm not going to share everything until my case is airtight. but you just wait. Soon enough, the whole world will know what Thomas Foster did to me. Either way, I don't care if you believe me or not. Even if I had all the evidence in the world, it wouldn't matter to some of you. I just need to convince the few people I still care about first, and then I'll worry about everyone else. But despite all this, I still feel hopeful. As long as I can stay stable, play along with the doctors, if nothing sets me off, then I can finally get out of here. Then I can finally talk to Charlie in person and explain what happened, find a way to make everything go back to how it was before. At least that's how I felt up until a week ago. I was lying on my bed when my eyes caught something up on the white stucco ceiling, a solitary ant aimlessly wandering in circles. Abigail? A voice snapped me out of the daze and I turned. Standing in the doorway, a nurse, two security guards behind her. You have a visitor. Flickering cold fluorescent light cast over the visiting room. Faded brick walls. Spaced apart tables. Guards standing at attention in every doorway. Finally, the door buzzed open and in walked Thomas Foster, the father. My supposed brother, a sickening chill, crawled down my spine. He caught my eyes from across the room and gave me a lopsided smile. The side of his face was scarred, but considering the injury, surprisingly well healed. His eyes were bright, present. I looked down at the table, staring at my handcuffed wrists. Part of me was expecting the visitor to be Charlie. I don't know why, still holding out hope, I guess. Thomas sat down across from me. A long silence passed buzzing lights. From somewhere deep within the ward, muffled, hysteric laughter, laughter that slowly turned into sorrowful weeping. "'Abigail,' said Thomas, finally breaking the silence. I didn't look up. My eyes traced back and forth along the handcuffed chains. He cleared his throat. <clears> throat> it, "'It's okay if you're still not ready to talk. I understand.' I just wanted to share a few things. Thomas waited for me to acknowledge him. I didn't. So he just kept going. This is kind of odd, but do you remember Walter? Nope. He continued. Walter, my pet tortoise. You actually made me a painting of him for my fifth birthday. Still up in my office. He breathed out his nose. I must have been six, maybe seven, when he died. Even little things can feel pretty world-ending when you're a kid. Everyone kept trying to make me feel better, except Dad. He said I needed to get over it by the end of the day. Thomas chuckled bitterly. Mom said it was normal. Tommy, she told me, pets die all the time. Part of life. Walter's up in heaven now. Thomas sighed, shifted weight. I don't know if you remember this, but... You were the one who actually made me feel any better. I looked up, but he was looking down at the table now. You just sat beside me, he continued, wrapped an arm around my shoulder and let me cry. That's it. No lessons, no advice, no ultimatums. You just sat there quietly and let me know it's okay to feel like crap sometimes, even if it was just a stupid turtle. He sniffed a little, eyes starting to water. Gosh, Abby, I don't know. been thinking about you a lot lately, and... He looked right at me, but I looked away. It's okay if you don't want to talk, he went on. I get it, I just wanted to let you know. He paused a moment, thinking over his next words carefully. I've been working on myself a lot, and through all this... Your relapse, my injuries, pages passing, I've rejoined the church. Don't know if you even knew I'd lost my faith, but... He paused again, expecting me to say something, but I remained silent. He cleared his throat. <clears> throat. I've been talking with the doctors here, and they said you've made a lot of progress. They said as long as you keep at it, keep improving, following their guidance... As long as nothing unexpected happens, you could be out on probation sooner than you think. I remained quiet. Look, he said, I've come to accept that you weren't in control of your actions. You have a condition. A condition you're getting treated for, and... I just wanted to let you know that, Abby. He leaned in slightly. Abby... Could you look at me? Slowly, I turned and stared blankly into his eyes. He stared back for a sullen moment. I forgive you. The words hung in the air like a rotting stench, but my face remained neutral. I looked away. Thomas kept hovering, waiting for a response, but again, I gave him fuck all. I wasn't playing his make-believe game, not anymore. A few tense seconds went by until he nodded slowly. I understand. We can talk when you're ready. He stood up, turned to leave, and froze. Oh, I almost forgot. Pivoting back, he reached into his coat pocket and pulled out a manila envelope. The guard said I could leave this here. He placed it on the table. I know it meant a lot to you and Charlie. Finally, I looked up at him. For the briefest of moments, his face twitched. Then he smiled sadly, turned around, and went for the exit. Footsteps punctuated the silence. The door buzzed shut as he left the room. I just sat there, staring at the envelope. I already knew what was inside, but I couldn't bring myself to look. Seconds dragged by, like minutes, until finally I reached forward, opened it, Looked in, and an aching sorrow filled every part of me. Inside, just as I expected, was the locket. Charlie's locket. I pulled it out, flicked it open, and there it was the photo of me. The one Charlie took when we first started dating, the one she put up in her gallery on that rainy Seattle day, the one in which, at the last second I turned away, held up my hand and hid my face. The only known photo of Eve Palmer. What a fucking story. Wow. Wow. Wow, I loved that. (coughs) That was that was stupendous. That was wonderful. Uh, We used to live here, read it, no sleep. Uh, What what more can I really say? I mean, I I fucking loved it. I loved the story. Um, It was written very well. I was never confused. I never noticed anything that the author wrote or said that. Didn't make any sense. Um, All the plot points, all the context, subtext, everything came around. There was a lot of setup, a lot of payoff. Um, Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there, but it's it's open ended. So no matter what I say, you know, it's up to the interpretation of the listener or to the reader. Um, The experience that Eve had was with some type of malevolent force that had done this multiple times before. And just it its prey was at this specific house. I guarantee you he he even abducted Paige. He even abducted the kids. The kids weren't his. The kids were hiding from him. And so, you know, downtrodden because they knew their reality. They they came to terms with their new reality. There They are versions of Eve that more or less said, fuck it, I'm okay with this new life now. You know, as long as I keep him happy, as long as I give him what he wants, you know, qu- kind of, quote unquote, then maybe I could live out a a simple life, I, I suppose. Um, it's really interesting. I mean, the, the conflict comes from... Uh, this kind of, this visitor, you know, the visit, um, the Tommy Taffy syndrome where someone other just kind of shows up and fucks with your entire situation. Um, just, just how like any day, like any random day can just become a bad day like that, you know, um, the simplicity of how the story is told. I, I think there's, there's such a great craft there that's used exceptionally well um i i remember even as early as part one there were just these sequences that reminded me from of horror movies i've seen in the past but it does it does something different and at the very end i feel like we got this like 12 monkeys kind of ending you know like you you watch all of 12 monkeys and then at the very end you're just like oh fuck like you're like you did this and you know and um i guess i guess it was kind of a pointless story <laughs> to to be honest it's kind of like a a, a bug much like an ant being trapped in, in a spider's web you know um i i would say the only thing i dislike Is how the like ghost version of Abby was like absolutely out in the woods in part two. And then in part three, she's back in the woods again. But like, there's like a finality to it. Like the author just immediately assumes that this person is like free now. And that's like the only part I really don't like. And it's because it kind of fucks with how the story is told. Like, I don't think Abby's free She she turns around and walks into a forest. What is what what's there to be said about that? You know, Abby's a victim, too. There's no way Abby was in on it. Maybe maybe she just understood how to get out. Maybe death was the get out. Maybe getting someone to play musical chairs with her was the get out. I don't know. Um But that's probably the only part I don't like. The only part that doesn't really fit with the rest of the story is is everything that happened with Abby in this chapter. Because before, she was just the creepy who who knows what the fuck um, that was in the house. It was in the basement in part one. It was in the attic in part two. Um, She was this effervescent spirit of ill will, you know? And part of me is just like... I just wished it stayed that way. There's the third part got a little convoluted with Abby, like chasing her and being like, I'm you, I'm not you as all this stuff. Like we get what the story is eventually going to do. You don't need to do a sequence like that where we are like sister, sister, like parent trap, like switching places. Like this isn't freaky Friday. Like we don't need to have that moment. You could have Abby just be a spooky, you know, visage of someone that Thomas absolutely fucking like ruined from the past and have it be nothing more than that, because the ending almost like her smiling and walking off to to Eve just being tossed in the back of the van, completely insane, does not say freedom to me. That says, like, I manipulated you. And it doesn't feel like that's what happened. It doesn't. It feels like Thomas knew everything that was going on in the house at all times. So did Paige. Paige was aware of Thomas's power, whatever Thomas was trying to do, get the house back or get his sister back. You know, Um, it almost makes me want to go back and reread parts of part one, like when Thomas has that moment in the basement. I I leave that to you, listeners. Go back and listen two episodes ago to that sequence where Thomas was in the basement because I believe he's having like a conversation with Ghost Abby, where he's like trying to say like, "Is this really what you want? Like, do you really want to be stuck down here?" And she's like, "Yes, (laughs) like anything but reality with you, you know." And um, and I kind of like that. I like that more than. Her being like, hi, I got this I got this stupid bitch to to stand in my place and now I am free. Like, no, you're not. Your life was ruined by Thomas. You you are now a ghouly ghosty ghost that sits in a house with no one and nothing. And you eat ants all day like there's nothing there's nothing happy there about that. But I still I still liked the story. I still liked it a lot Even with uh, Abby as like a loose end The story is still very well done Very well written um, I I want to do more research On how it's being adapted Because I think it's being adapted um, Into something I, I Maybe Netflix, I think <coughs> I'm not too sure I think it's being adapted somewhere But I'm ready for it I think it's keeping the title I think the the we used to live here is being kept, and I think that's actually why the title was popular to begin with. I think um, they they caught the title and they said like that's really eye catching, that's good. Like it does remind me of we are still here. Like we used to live here is like almost a precursor to that, you know. Um, but that one's so much more straightforward. That's that's a that's a wonderful story with zero loose ends so go watch that that's already on netflix i'm pretty sure unless it got taken off uh we are still here check out that that ghost story i know i referenced it before um i'm just kind of talking now so i'm gonna shut up i'm gonna leave you guys (coughs) with this story with this notion um again lots of fun stuff coming up for the rest of this season i hope everyone enjoyed my little uh Five year anniversary solo project here I know the timing was off on each of them But what can I say I didn't really plan this I just wanted to read this very good story Um, So I hope everyone had a good time And I hope we are ready For the holiday season I'm going to lose my shit I fucking hate Christmas So I'll see you all on the other side And as always Your El Capitan Muerte Signing off See you next time. the days when the moon is high and the tide for life. Unless and land until we stand at the shore. the days when the moon is high and the tide with the lust for life.